ministry of Nelson Ehiago. Be stirred as you listen. Today we're going to be looking at the topic I titled Christmas, Myth, Lies, and Significance. Come and say after me, Christmas, Christmas. Myth, Lies, and significance. Now, this teaching is very important. Um, but let's start from this. Why exactly is this teaching important? Why is this teaching? Please, um, except you are taking notes on your phone, please don't be on social media. Please respect Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's number one. Number two, don't be on TikTok. Don't be on social media. I will see it. Amen. Amen. It always distracts me. Number two, please take notes. The faintest handwriting lasts longer than the sharpest memory. Amen. Amen. Even if it's on your, on your note app, whatever it is, if you're taking it on your phone, put your phone on airplane mode so that you don't see a notification. I say, ah, let me quickly check what's going on. Before you know, we'll be doing he died, I died, and you've been on Instagram. Praise the Lord. So, um, the first thing I want to, or what I want to start by saying is this. A good teaching ministry is proactive, not reactive. A good teaching ministry is proactive, not reactive. And what exactly do we mean by that? We mean, oh, before we do that, because this teaching is very important, please do me a favor. If you're a worker, the link is already on the workforce group. If you're not a worker, um, go on, um, on the connect group. If you're not on the connect group, go on YouTube and search for Nelson in Hiagwam. If you can't spell in Hiagwam, it's the, la- it's the name under Nelson, right? Search for it on YouTube. Please sh- copy the link of the stream and put it on your WhatsApp status. Share it to your friends. This teaching is very important. So please, let's share it. Let's put it out there. And yes, let's just put it out there. Amen. A good teaching ministry is proactive, not reactive. What do I mean by that? A teaching ministry ideally is supposed to preempt the questions a believer would have and answer them before they come up. Come on, are you listening to me? Or preempt the questions that people will ask And then answer those questions before they become questions. Are you listening to me? That's exactly, how many of you have come to church, you know, you listen to an amazing sermon, and that week, that sermon was required of you. Give Jesus a white pipe if if that's happened to you. Yeah, because um, that's exactly what the word of God is for. The word of God is for us to present proof for why we believe what we believe. The word of God is profitable for doctrine, for proof, all right? The word of God is profitable for evidence. Why do you believe what you believe? To what end is believing what you believe? Come on, are you guys with me? To what end is believing what you believe? And you must be able to show us proof beyond reasonable doubt from scripture. Praise the living Jesus. Amen. All right. Um, So why exactly are we having these kinds of teachings? Because Christmas is not mentioned in the Bible. So why are we talking about Christmas? Well, for a few reasons. Number one, Matthew chapter 22 verse 37. Matthew chapter 22 from verse 37. Matthew 22. I'm seeing a lot of touch of red here and there. Good to see you guys. I said touch of red. Asher is wearing an ash shirt and raising his hand. Matthew 22. Oh, red watch. That's okay. Ah, 37. My bad. It would have been weird. Last of all, the woman died also. All right, back to this quote. Yes. Jesus speaking now. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy, right? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, with all your soul, and with all your Mind. Let me stop here and explain something. Listen, if you've not loved God with all these components, your love for God is not complete. Come on, are you listening to me? If your love for God is not entire, your love for God is not complete. So it's not just enough to love the Lord with your heart. You know, the Bible says, He who we have not seen yet, we do what? We love. And then we rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. So we've not seen Him, but we love Him. So 
Our conviction of the Lord is spiritual, but then there's an emotional response. Come on, are you guys with me? Where our love for the Lord is spiritual, but then there's an emotional response. So you must love the Lord with your what? Heart. He must own your heart. With all your soul. It means that your appetites and your desires must be seen in the direction of affection to the Lord. Come on, are you with me? Your desires and your appetite must be seen in the direction of affection for the Lord. So, um, and that's exactly why you can't say you love the Lord, but you don't really like going to church. Are you listening to me? You can't say you love the Lord and then at the slightest convenience, you don't come to church. I'd rather stream online. Your love for God is questionable at that time. Come on, are you listening to me? So, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. So, your appetites must be seen. Your emotions must be seen. There are things that are called godly affection. Your affection must be seen in response to the love, to your love for God. But also, there's one more thing. You shall love the Lord with all your what? Mind. Come on, are you here? With all your mind. So, your mind is involved in loving the Lord. We have, I've met quite a couple of believers and it's strange because theology is required as a, is, or is, can be described as a science. At some point, it was described as the highest science. Are you listening to me? It was described as the highest science. So, it is strange to have believers who love the Lord but can't apply their minds. So, a lot of people, you know, the Bible tells us, um, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewal or renewing of your mind. You, you know, you are supposed to love the Lord intelligently. But then, the word of God is going to shape your mind as to how you approach your love for God. Come on, are you listening to me? So, you will love him intelligently, but that intelligence is what is now called revelation. How do you respond to things you... For example, why can I forgive anybody anything? I can forgive them anything because I was forgiven much. So, there's that. You love the Lord with all your mind. There's an intelligence factor in your love for God. So, we find a lot of people who can... We can pray 12 hours, but we can't sit down for consistent Bible study. That's not loving the Lord with your mind. Every other thing you can apply your mind to is a witness against you for not applying your mind to the word of God. Come on, are you listening to me? I've seen people who can read novels cover to cover in two days. Ladies, you, you understand what I'm talking about? Right? Uh-huh. You can read, I mean, I, I, I've met people who can read scarily. They'll just be flipping the page. Say, are you reading this thing at all? They will read 2,000 pages in two days. But then Bible study, I don't really have the time. Uh-uh. Cynthia, why are you lying? Is anybody here named Cynthia? No? Okay, cool. So, um, you must love the Lord with your mind. You must apply your mind. A lot of people think of, um, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. But the way they apply it to their life is you must love the Lord with the removal of your mind. They remove, you are, see, listen, you are blood washed, not brainwashed. Amen? Amen. So, Christianity is an intelligent faith. I remember what, <laughs> so let me report myself. Amen. So, yesterday, someone, one guy, I mean, I, I released a, a video. You remember that video where I said, you know, a lot of people don't believe in heaven and hell? And they say heaven is just a fairy tale. And I'm like, tell me that when you've died, been buried and risen from the dead. It is only he that died, buried, rose, never to die again, that has the authority to tell us about the things concerning eternal life. You remember I said that, right? So I dropped that reel and one guy came up and said, you know, you are talking like a child and you're a buffoon and different. Don't worry. People insulted Jesus. I'm not even moved. I didn't care. Right? I said, LOL, thanks for your contribution. Right? But of course, my friends now. So this is the thing. When you argue with fools, they'll bring you down to their level and win you with years of experience. Right? So I can't do that. So some of my friends now went against him and the guy was now shouting. Someone else now replied him and then the guy now said, I promise this story is going somewhere. The guy now came and said, um, <laughs> He said, I don't trust all these young pastors. First of all, 
when Jesus was leading the people, how, how do you think he looked like? He died at 33. Stay ministry at 30. I'm not really far from 30. So, like, you think Jesus stay ministry at 65? I'm the standard. Amen. Anyways, so Jesus, <laughs> the guy um, was talking and he said, I don't trust all these young pastors. It's just a power game to them. When I read it, I first ignored it. Then I read it again. Kofu and I were in Nando's. So I read it again. And I replied to him. So if you insult me, I don't really care. If you say anything about me, I don't care. But when you come for my call, do you know the things I sacrificed to do this thing? So when you come for my call, uh, I told him, I said, my brother, let me read it to you people. Let me read it to you people. Say amen. amen. Let me read it to you people. Where is it? Here we go. So he said, uh-huh. He said, I have a serious bias against young boys like this masquerading as pastors. Masquerading. They ordained me. I think June next year will make it a God in 2021. So it will be two years since I've been carrying pastor. Amen. I never had pastor before that. They gave me. He said, it's a power game to them. And I replied, I said, that's fine. If it's a power game to me, may the Lord require it of me. But if I'm truly serving the Lord devoid of ambitions... And just his voice. May his zeal and jealousy respond back to you in more ways than one. So shall it be. Have a swell day. The guy now responded. He said, you are many Nigerian pastors are the same. You neglect the weightier matters of scripture and grab onto straws. My advice for you is to never attempt to use logic to defend the validity of God's existence. The Bible on its own provides ample evidence. And where that is not enough, let it be. It's the spirit of God that calls sinners unto adoption to start with. Not your logical debate. Have a Merry Christmas, Nelson. Now, first of all, um, what did he even say here? Um, you don't use, you, you, the Bible is enough. You can't tell that to someone who doesn't believe your Bible. This is how you know somebody who has never really engaged a serious doctrinal conversation before. Anyways, I said Paul used, and this is where I was going, actually. His, I said, Paul used logic to debate scriptures. Yeah. Scriptures tell us to be ready to give a defense. Jesus tells us to love the Lord with our mind. But you tell me otherwise, I say, please relax. You can hate me because I'm a young pastor and be rude. But saying it's a power game and then calling me a buffoon, saying I ignore weightier matters. Anyway, you don't even know me. If it's a power game, let God judge. But if not, let God judge also. And fiercely so. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and I said, I have to apologize. I said, don't apologize. Don't apologize. He said, my bias against young pastors got the best of You think I'm here because I want to be. Uh-uh, don't worry. Back to our scriptures. Where I was going to was logic is important when defending your faith. It is, it is not, and let me say this, apologetics or logic is not enough to get a man to faith. There must still be that leap. But the truth is logic points in the direction. It's like a sign. So, um, Acts chapter 17 from verse 16. Well, it's a long read, but follow me, please. Acts chapter 17 from verse 16. Let's run. Let's run. I still have a lot of things to cover, so. Acts chapter, look at this. He said, so you'll be running with me. He said, now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Then he reasoned in the synagogue, with the Jews and with Gentile worshippers. Now, please listen to me. He did what? Come on, he did what? Is this the engaging of your mind or not? He said he reasoned with, in the synagogue with Jews and with Gentiles and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Uh-huh. He said then came certain Epicurean, remember that what we read, um, the, this thing, the Epicurean trilemma. Yes, he, um, Epicurus was the, he was the one who led that school of thought. So th these are some people from his school of thought. Right, when we read um, Good God, Fallen World, right? Now, then certain Epicurean and Stoich philosophers encountered him and said, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, 
He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Hold on. Now, when the Bible says in verse 17 that he reasoned to them, and then we come to verse 18 and it says he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. It means that he reasoned out Jesus, the resurrection and its implication to them. Tizia, are you with me? So he reasoned it out. He didn't just say, this is what it is, believe it. He reasoned it out with them. The same way I used to say that if Jesus died, was buried and rose from the dead, only he should be authority to tell us about the matters of eternal life. That's just the logical um, end of that argument. And of course, the death of Jesus, you know, I've done a, a few things here and there. I did it in ADC to show that Jesus, the history, Jesus was a man who actually walked the earth. And he was a man who actually was born. And a man who actually died and rose from the dead. And then never to die again. Amen. So, um, after he rose from the dead, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 500 people saw him. And he said the greater part of those people are still alive. So, we have not believed cunningly devised fables. We have believed the truth. Say amen. amen. He said, others said, uh, next verse. He said, then, and they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. Uh -huh. For all the Athenians and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. So Paul went where they were engaged in a lot of debates. And then he was debating them as it pertains to Christ. So, when people say that when it comes to Christianity, it's just the spirit. Have you ever had conversations with people and people say, the spirit revealed it to me? Maybe as I've taught us on context, they say, the spirit revealed it to me. And you're like, but in context, that's not what that verse means. They say, well, I know, but that's what the spirit revealed to me. Or they say, you can't reason out this Holy Ghost. He's like the wind. No man knows where he comes from or where he goes. This, it cannot be explained from scriptures. That's the occult. That's not Christianity. Come on, are you listening to me? He said, Paul, then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very what? Religious. Uh -huh. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Hold on. Ah, I wish I had. I will do a teaching one day on the world of spirits. Say amen. I know it sounds deep, but it's not really that deep. It's not mysterious. You see, this verse is one of the verses that teaches us that all the religions we have, they stumbled on a revelation of God. Let me explain. Have you realized that there is a common theme across all religions? There's usually a common theme. For example, I'm from Nigeria. And then um, the two major religions that have mythologies, the Igbo mythology and then the Yoruba mythology, they all know of a, an, a big god. In Igbo, it is called Olisa Binigwe. Igbo, yes, Olisa Binigwe. And then you use vassal smaller gods to approach him because you are too small to approach him. So you use smaller vassal gods or you use your ancestors to approach him. And can I tell you something? They are not wrong. But we have been caused to approach him in the blood of Jesus. Are you listening to me? In Yoruba, um, what they call that God? Oledumari. Oledumari or Oledumari, whichever one. You know, he's the almighty God that you cannot really approach him by yourself. And then you have to use other smaller gods to then approach him. So... He now says that you are, you, you are talking about the unknown God. It means that you know that there is a God out there somewhere, but I want to explain him to you. Next verse. That devil is a liar. He said, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of the heavens and the earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands. First of all, he's reasoning this thing out with them. Uh-huh. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. First of all, Paul is trying to say that the God who sustains all things, are you going to sustain him by the things you are giving to him? It's, log it's a logical conversation, right? Uh -huh. Next verse. He said, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to 
to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Uh-huh. He said, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. So Paul is saying that you are looking for a God, but you are correct. Because it is true that there is a God. But you, you have sought for him in many other things. Him, I'm trying to explain to you. Next verse. He said, for in him we live, move, and have our being. Quick one. This line, a lot of people think Paul was quoting scriptures. He wasn't. It was actually a poem to the god Jupiter. Or Zeus. Daniel's head wants to blow. Daniel is impressed. He'll still start clapping now. It was a poem to Jupiter or to Zeus. They said, in him we live. So Paul was saying that that your poem is not wrong. Because truly in him we live, we move and have our being. Why? Because he gave breath and blood to all nations, describing their boundaries. So God is the one that did those things. Are you here? God is the one that did those things. So if he's the one that did those things, your sacrifices cannot sustain him. Therefore, it is in him we live. We move and have our being as your worship to that God has said. Paul was using their own materials to reason out the all-wise God to them. Is this logic or not? Mm-hmm. If this should tell you anything, it means that the believer should not be dense. Come on, are you listening to me? The believer must be able to apply their mind to present Christ. So, knowing God is not the exclusive preserve of some that are excited. It is the delight of every believer. I think someone said, I'm not even sure which it is. They said, the way Paul wrote, it seems like his, his academic prowess was the equivalent of someone that had two PhDs. Amen. Anyways. I could be wrong. I think it's two PhDs, or even two masters or two PhDs, but I think it's PhDs. He said, as also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So some of your poets have described this. It's the same way that when an, athe- an, an apologist will be arguing with an atheist, he will quote atheistic scholars to prove his point. Are you with me? He will quote atheistic scholars to prove his point. He said, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think... <laughs> We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or a man's devising. So he's saying that if we are created by God, there is nothing on earth we can make an idol of that will be an accurate representation of him. So he's saying that your idols are false. Next verse, please. He said, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repentance. Uh-huh. I like the way Paul ties it up. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he ordained, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Uh-huh. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Next verse. So Paul departed from among them. And the next verse now says that some people believed and came. But look at this. Paul finished all their arguments. Talked about the fact that you cannot accurately describe God from gold, silver, and all these things. But that God has spoken about one who is he's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge all men. And how? He has given all men assurance in one event. Resurrection. So Paul was not just telling them that there is a God. He's pointing them to the man, Jesus. Who is God? Come on, are you listening to me? Uh huh. Are you still here? I said all that to say this. The believer is supposed to be able, right, to get their mind involved in worship for God. It does not give God pleasure when, when it comes to theology, you don't really know it. You don't really know the Bible. You don't really know how to defend what you believe. It doesn't give God pleasure. Say amen. 1 Peter 3.15, the context, of course, is clear. It says, it says that, um, let us be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. 
Let us be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. The word defense there, all right, it says sanctify the Lord in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. So you should be ready and be able to, please, I hope I'm taking notes because you should be ready to give a defense for why you believe what you believe. Of course, the hope here is very clear, why you believe Jesus is coming back. But even beyond that, narrowing it down a little bit, why do you practice what you practice? When your Christian faith is challenged, do you know why you are doing what you're doing? And as I say this, you know, I'm going to go in. So why exactly are these kind of teachings required? Because Jesus expects us to do it, to do this. He expects us to worship with our mind. Peter commands and tells us that we should be able, we're ready to give a defense. Acts, Paul used logic, so you should too. And the last point on why, the kind of territory we live in. Maybe you've not been encountered by a Muslim before. Listen, Muslims are trained in polemics against Christians. Is one of the things that they learn. And they learn a lot of lies from Zakir Naik, Ahmed Didat, and many of those boys. They lie a lot. But then they bring it to the believer, and the believer will say, hmm, you have a point. Come on, do you understand what I'm saying? It's ridiculous. So Jesus said, no one is good but God. He said, you see, Jesus is basically saying nobody, no one is good but God, and I'm not God. Are they the same thing? Because Jesus actually also called himself the good shepherd. I brought that so I might as well finish this. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? And there's many other things. I'll probably teach you that another day, but at least that one could help you understand something. But um, the territory we live in demands this kind of teachings. And there are even believers who have bought into a lot of lies pertaining to Christmas. Lots of lies. So I broke this teaching into two. I wrote myth and lies, number one. And number two, um, significance. So let's go, myth and lies. Say myth Myth. and lies. So let me just quote it. Let me just finish that thought since I started it in case someone has. So Jesus now said, sell all that you have. He now goes, if you read the verses down, he said, it is impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's talking to the rich man where he said, I'm nobody's good but God. He said, why do you call me good? So he was investigating the man's motive. And then he said, it's impossible. It's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Then if you now read down, he now said that God has sent his son. That he will die. That Jesus was basically going to die to achieve salvation for him. So what is, he, what is hard for the rich man? Jesus or God was going to do it. And who was God that was going to achieve it? Jesus. So Jesus was still saying that he's God. Do you get that? Anyways. Myth and lies. Number one. Christmas is on December 25th because he's gotten from pagan gods. Have you, how many of you have heard that before? Okay. You, you people are excited about this teaching, have you? Christmas is on the 25th of December because he's gotten from pagan gods. <laughs> well, hmm. first of all, that's a lie. That's a lie. They say it was gotten from pagan gods and was gotten from Saturnalia, right? Well, first of all, Saturnalia never held on December 25th. Saturnalia always held 11 days before January, which was December 17th. Come on, listen to me. Guys, are you here? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Saturnalia usually held December 17th. It never held on the 25th. So it's not true. Number two, um, Oh, no, not, not, Saturnalia didn't hold 11 days, sorry, it was, oh, yes, it did, sorry, my bad, what am I saying? Anyways, Saturnalia, the verse, Macrobius, Macrobius is spelled M-A-C-R-O-B-I-U-S. He's a 5th century historian. He says Saturnalia was celebrated 11 years, 11 days before January, and it was celebrated between December 17th, it was celebrated on December 17th, and it lasted three days. So it had nothing to do with December 25th. So you see, the thing is, eh, many of us, we wrote, or they wrote our dissertations for us. Amen. Say amen now. Even if it's true, say amen. Good. So even though we wrote this, we don't know how to do research. Many of these lies, if somebody just comes and says something about Christianity, boldly enough, we'll say, ah, 
the way he's bold enough, why will he be lying? A Google search will prove him wrong. Some people say that another pagan holiday, Bromelia, B-R-U-M-A-L-I-A, you know, was, uh, it was held on December 25th, and that's exactly why Christmas fell on that day, but that's not true. Bromelia held November 24th to December 17th. It did not hold on December 25th. Many people say that Christmas was moved from, was moved by, Christ, or by Christians to match pagan holidays because pagan holidays held on the 25th of December, right? It was moved for, to, to the 25th of December so that it would match Christ, uh, pagan holidays. And the pe- uh, particular one they quote is Sol Invictus, S-O-L-I-N-V-I-C-T-I-S. Well, the earliest sources don't mention that this held on December 25th. You may not understand why you need this teaching now until you talk to somebody outside. Say amen. It did not hold on December 25th at all. And the first account of it holding on December 20th, the earliest sources mentioned nothing that it was held on December 25th. The earliest source that it was held on December 25th was in the 4th century, in the Philokalian calendar rather. In the 4th century. Ah, people are confused. (laughs) Sorry. You will listen to the sermon again. Because we're out of time. Amen. Anyways, it, it, was, it was said to have been held on December 20th. But actually, the early calendars, like the Philokalian calendar, recognizes that the 25th, cent, um, 25th of December was recognized as Christmas. Now, what does Christmas mean? Christmas simply means Christ's mass. It was when people gathered to celebrate and to remember that Jesus was born. It had nothing to do with pagan holidays. As a matter of fact, because of the growing rate of Christianity, all right, Saturnalia and many of all these holidays were brought to that day to keep up with the growing rate of Christianity. So if anything, they wanted to copy Christianity, not the other way around. Do you get this? They wanted to copy Christianity and not the other way around. Some people say that um, Jesus was, what's the word? Je- people say that um, we celebrate Jesus' birth on the 25th of December because um, other pagan gods were born on the 25th of December. Now, there's a documentary called the Zagist, right? Z-E, how do you spell that thing again? It always confuses me. Z-E-I-T-G-E-I-S-T, the Zagist theory. It's a documentary that came up with a lot of lies and said that the Christianity story borrowed from many other surrounding stories. It's not true. It's not true. So they said Horus, for example, was born on the 25th of December. He was born of a virgin. He, he was born on the 25th of December. He was born of a virgin. A star appeared in the east. Um, he, was, he was Seb was his father, and then there's a linguistic connection between Seb and the name Joseph. He was baptized by Anup the baptizer. He walked on water. He had 12 disciples. When somebody throws all this on you at the street, you're like, ah, I've not read about Horus. But a little Google search will tell you, Horus came out of the rock. No, not not Horus, actually. It's Mithra that came out of the rock. Horus was the child of Isis. Isis was married to Osiris. Isis was married to Osiris. Horus was born in a swamp, not of a virgin birth in a cave. There's no evidence of the star. There's no evidence he was born in December 25th. The earliest evidence says that he was born in November. Well, that's what they say from their sources. Plutarch says he's the winter, winter sources. Seb was the god of the earth. He was not Horus's father. There was no Anub the baptizer. He had four disciples, not 12. The rest is a lie. So the question is, why are you lying? They say Mithra, the sun god, was born on December 25th, but that's not true. Because Mithra was born of the rock and he came as an adult. They say there was a, there was a, um, there was a tablet that showed 12 people on it. There's nothing about that that showed that there were 12 disciples. Some people now say that shows he had 12 disciples. Well, no. He had either one or two disciples. Or companions, not even disciples. And most of the things that they said that Christianity borrowed from Mitra is not true. Mitra actually borrowed from Christianity. So this is the idea. Christianity began to grow very widespread. That they now started to borrow 
things from Christianity to make their religion more real. Do you get what I'm saying? Because everybody wants to sell markets. So they began to borrow from Christianity. Now, some people also say that Constantine was the one that made December 25th Christmas. That's not true. Christmas was celebrated on December 25th, long before Constantine. Long before. An early church father called John Christostom. Christostom is C-H-R-Y-S-O-S-T-O-N. C-H-R-Y-S-O-S-T-O-N. Says that celebrating Christmas on December 25th was a long time tradition. And then the Philokalian calendar, P-H-I-L-O-C-A-L-I-A-N calendar. He lists Christmas as an established church holiday. He lists Christmas as an established church holiday. So, why exactly are we celebrating it on December 25th? Number one, many people believed that a prophet will die on the same day that he was conceived. Jews believed that a prophet would die on the same day that he was conceived. So, they say that Jesus was probably conceived in March, and then they just count nine months from then. And then they now add it to December 25th. And again, if people say that the Son God was born on December 25th, it was not uncommon for the early church to colonize a heathen practice and Christianize it. Are you guys with me? It was not uncommon. And even if you say that Jesus was born on the 25th, so they are copying the Son God. Well, he's the Son of Righteousness. Amen. Amen. So... um, He's the son of righteousness. He's the light of the world. So, 25th December and then nine months ahead. Were they right? Nobody really knows. Nobody really knows whether Jesus was born on the um, 29th, on the 25th of December or not. And can I tell you what? It doesn't matter. Was he born? Is he the son of God? Please celebrate him in peace. Now, there's another account that basically says that um, the Orthodox Church, basically, the Orthodox Church's celebration, they celebrate that John the Baptist was born on June 24th. So if John the Baptist was conceived around 23rd to 27th of September, then Christ was conceived six months later, that's March, then he was born in December 23rd to 27th. Factually, everybody argues that it is between 23rd. So it's, it's not something that they borrowed from and pagans. It was something that was an early church tradition that they consistently celebrated on the 25th of December. Come on, do you get what I'm saying? Uh Number two points. Christmas trees are idolatry. Christmas trees are idolatry. Jeremiah chapter 10 from verse 2 to 4. Jeremiah chapter 10 from verse 2 to 4. Are you learning anything? Praise God. All right. Jeremiah chapter 10. Are we there? Okay, let's just open. Jeremiah chapter 10. He says, so people quote this quote, this verse and say that um, it's, it's, it's proof text that if you are doing Christmas trees, you are committing idolatry. Hear ye the word of the Lord, which the Lord, are you opening your Bible? Is your Bible open? Please read with me. Jeremiah chapter 10. We are reading from verse 1. He said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, let not the way of the heathen. Be not dismayed at the signs of the heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them. Verse 3. For the custom of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest. The work of the hands of a workman with an axe. They deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammer that it may move not. Come on. When they say you, you put it with gold and silver. I mean that sounds like Christmas tree when you're putting those things on it. Right? 
But this is why if you remove pretext and post-text, you're left with con. Praise God. He says, they are upright, but look at the text very carefully. He says, the walk of a they cut the tree from the forest. They walk from verse 3. They walk of the hands of a walk man. It means that the person takes it from the forest. He does not just take it from the forest. What does he do? He carves it out to be something else. Come on, are you with me? He carves it to be something else. All right? Um, look at verse 5. They are upright as a palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born. They cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. So what he's talking about is obviously not just a tree. These are idols. He's talking about not just a tree, but idols. So you cannot use Jeremiah 10, 24, except I pick a tree and I carve that tree to look like Asherah. Or to look like Baal. Then this one does not matter. In fact, if you read the verses down. If you read verse 5, verse 8, verse 14. It clearly calls them idols. Not just trees. It clearly calls them idols. Isaiah chapter 44 from verse 14 to 15. Is the same context. If you read. I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm, I'm trying to run like a machine gun now. Isaiah chapter 44 from verse 14 to 15. If you read it carefully. You also know. That he's speaking, he's speaking about idols. He's not speaking about, um, he's not speaking about the Christmas tree at all. They say, oh, you put things, you put things underneath the tree, and then you bow under it to to worship it. So someone actually said, I don't care if you bow your knee to pick a gift from under the Christmas tree, you are bowing to worship. That's very stupid. The next time you knelt down to to pick something, were you worshiping that thing? If I let's even read it. Um, let's read it. Open your Bible, Isaiah. Or oh, in fact, this is Jeremiah 10. Let's read it in NLT. Jeremiah 10. Let me open my Bible. My NLT. Jeremiah 10. Look at this. It says. This is what the Lord says. Do not act like other nations who try to read their future in the stars. Do not be afraid of their predictions, even though other nations are terrified by them. Their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver and fasten it securely with hammer and nails so it will not fall over. Verse 5. Their gods are like helpless scarecrow in a cucumber field. So it's clearly not just about the tree. It's the idol. Isaiah chapter, chapter. what did I say? Let's open Isaiah 44, verse 14. Praise God. He said, he cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and oak. He plants the, is that, did I read the right verse? Okay, let me see. Um, yes, he said, then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern of it. He walks with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. From that context already, you know what he's talking about. He said, he cuts down cedars, selects the cypress and the oak, he plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by rain, then uses part of the wood to make fire and with it, and with it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then yet it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. So people now say when you put a gift under and you bow down to pick the gift, you are worshipping the tree. That's such a stupid logic. So that's another verse. People use, then they use Jeremiah 3.13 as well. I'm, I don't think I want, I'm going to read it. They use Jeremiah 3.13. And the context of Jeremiah 3.13, people usually kept idols under trees because Israel was hot. So you put it in a place where there is shade so that you can go and bow and worship. Amen? Please, I need the screen for the next thing I want to talk about. 
Long story short, pagan rituals died out in Europe in 1000 AD. Christmas trees were used in 1500 AD. So there is no link. Come on, are you with me? There is no link between both. Are we ready on the screen? Show me, give me that thing I sent to you, Ayo. Number three thing, Xmas is removing Christ from, so you shouldn't say Merry Xmas. It's not true. Go back to the first one. My brother-in-law designed this, by the way. Give me the first one. Okay, give me the first one, actually. The one before this, sorry, my bad. Now, I said Christmas means what? Christmas, a gathering to celebrate now look at this. This word X is the word Kai, is the Greek word Kai. And the Greek word Kai was used to represent, um, the Greek word Kai was ritually represented by an X. The same way the Greek word CH was represented by a K. Are you with me? The Greek word Kai was represented by an X. So this is the word Christos, which usually means Christ. And Christ just means the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus. Come on, are you listening to me? TC, are you with me? So, this is the word Christos. So, the word Kai, C-H, is what? X. And they usually represented Christ with this as an abbreviation, X. Give me the next, because this just means Christos. And this guy, this Greek, this English. Give me the next verse. The next one, rather. This is a Christian symbol that dates back to the 2nd century. It's a Christian symbol that dates back to the 2nd I like the way everybody's in there. Like, hey, this X master. It's a Christian symbol that, that dates back to the 2nd century. It was used by Christians to identify other Christians. The symbol, this means Jesus. This is X. Remember the one we saw before was Christos in full. But this is just X, which was shorthand for who? Christos. So, if I say Lady Oluwafeike me here, you know who I'm talking about, right? But I say Lady K, you also know who I'm talking about. It's the same thing. So, Jesus Christ, God's son, savior. This was just shorthand. So, X is Christos. So, when I say Xmas, I'm not removing Jesus. Don't think of your modern day X, find X. X means unknown. X means lost. X is removing Jesus. From, that's, is not, that's not what it means. X was shorthand for Christ. So if I say Merry Xmas, I'm just using shorthand to talk about Jesus. I'm not removing Jesus from the equation. People are shocked and happy at the same time. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Should I say it again? Okay. X was shorthand for Christos, Christ. Rather than writing out what we saw in the first place. Ledu, please give me the first one. Rather than writing out this, Christos in full, they just wrote X. And when they saw that X, they just knew it was talking about Christ. Now, in the next one we saw, those are five um, symbols, right? But those five symbols mean Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. They were shorthand for five words. Five words. So X usually meant CH, Christus. X, I like the way everybody is taking pictures. They say, hey, I knew it. So X mass is not removing Christ from the mass. X mass is just shorthand. It still means Christmas. Say amen. amen. So you can, you can also say XTN. <laughs> Have you said when people say XTN, you are, you, it's not XTN, you are removing Christ, it's not, it's not a modern day thing. A little study into history will just show you what this means. Amen, everybody. Amen. I even forgot to, to say something about the Christmas tree. I forgot to say something about the Christmas tree. Then... The Christmas tree was popularized by Martin Luther. All right? Martin Luther went into the forest, picked a pine tree, and lighted candles on it and put it. And can I tell you something? I don't think nothing else, I don't think anything else represents the Christian symbol like the tree. Because cost is every man who hangs on a tree. Jesus died on a tree for you and I. 
So if we use the tree, it's okay. It's okay. The fact that people, people looked at it one way does not change how I see it. Come on. You, are, you were dead in sin and then in the presence of God you were made new. Paul tells us everything is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Paul said an idol is nothing in this world. Come on, are you here? An idol is what? Nothing in this world. Now, because an idol is nothing in this world, it doesn't matter what the pagans used to celebrate it. I can pick that thing and turn it back to the one who all glory belongs to. Are you listening to me? So, that tree, it was not, even if the pagans, well, pagans used it, so an idol is nothing in this world. If you give me money that has been offered to idols now, I will sanctify. Come on. Are you with me now? If you give me 10,000 pounds, I'll just say, Father, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell, that dwell there in Baraska. And I will lift it up and say, Father, your hands have provided. This is sanctified. And look at it. The rod of Aaron was a mere stick. But in the presence of God, he budded. So I'll say, this is what your hand has provided. And I give a tithe of 30%. Then I hold the rest and spend on the fine girl. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> say it has been offered. Eh? I will take you out, sir. You that will give me. What of Santa Claus? Santa Claus was a celebration of Saint Nick, Saint Nicholas. Saint Nicholas was usually celebrated December the 5th. Now, there is a bit of virtue on that. All right? Saint Nicholas was celebrated on December the 5th for his generosity and kindness, especially towards children. But um, Saint Nick, Santa Claus is just is the Englishization of the um, Dutch, the Dutch abbreviation of St. Nicholas, which is Sinterklaas. Now, he has been, um, some people are probably wondering, how did PNI read all these things? Anyways, he has been, and PNI, he has been um, made more modern over time, thanks to Coca-Cola. He has been made, St. Nicholas was not a fat white man. <laughs> he has been made more popular over time, right? But however, there's some virtue to learn. And what is that virtue? Generosity. Come on, are you listening to me? The virtue to learn from there is generosity. Now, as it pertains to Santa Claus, let me now draw a line. This is where I now have to go into the significance. Come on, TC, are you with me? This is where I have to go into the significance. <laughs> Please. People are funny. Let's start from there. Ah, that dog is playing. I'm feeling it in my within. Zupala de Korea. Anyways, the problem now is when people think of Christmas, they think of a fat white man rather than think about Jesus. Christmas is not about dashing through the store. Christmas is about God becoming a man. The creator Becoming his creation. Christmas has absolutely nothing to do with reindeers. And um, what's the name of those reindeers again? Rudolph, Dash, is it Dash? Dasha, and um, them, them. I am this classmate, yeah. They have nothing to do with those guys. Christmas has everything to do with God becoming a man. Has everything to do with God becoming a man. So that's exactly what Christmas is. It's not about dashing through the snow. It's not just about gifts. It's about Jesus. When you think of a child today and you tell them, let's go to church or let's go and see Santa, which one are they more likely to go and see? Because the significance is lost. The significance is lost. So now, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14, from you can write this down, Romans 14, 5 to 6, or Romans 14, 14. Paul was basically telling us that some people esteem some days highly, some people do not. But do everything to the glory of God. So, if you don't think Christmas is important, it's fine. It's okay, do it, do you. But for those that are important, for those that they think it's something worth celebrating, don't now say that they are committing sin. 
There are people that are deep. He said, Jesus is the reason for every season. He's not the reason for the season. It's just like saying, you are alive, so don't celebrate birthdays. Come on, do you get what I'm saying? So yes, he's the reason for the season. But I want to assure you that we don't, we are not using Christmas to remember because of God. It's because of us. God does not need any, any remembrance. God dwells in the eternal now. It's for us. Come on, are you with me? It's for us. It's for us. Hmm. So first of all, was Jesus born? Yes. Was Jesus born? Yes. Does it matter when? No. We can celebrate it. Abuse does not mean that it should be neglected. So people have made it about something else, but it should be about him. Say amen. Hmm. So, if we look at significance, God used typifications to teach salvific truths before Jesus came. The blood on the lintel. You guys were here when we did sketches and fullness, right? The blood on the lintel. Um, the high priest and the lamb. The sacrificial lamb. The temple. The tabernacle. All these things were pictures that were pointing to what was to come. Even in the new covenant, you know, baptism, the sacraments, communion, those things were to represent something that was deeper than themselves. Are you here? So the communion usually is to represent the bond that we share, the fact that we have all come to partake in his body and his blood. Baptism is to signify that we have been buried with him and we have risen with him. Come on, are you with me? So if God gave us significances, don't now think significance is a waste of time. So when we look at Jesus and we look at his birth, yes, we remember him every day, but there's nothing wrong and it should even be a practice that you pick out one day to remember the thing that he had done for you in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. As a matter of fact, in the fact that God became a man, the creator became his creation. The fact that the one who exists above all and who lives outside time came into time to ransom his creation. Come on, are you listening to me? So if you don't think it's a big deal for you, it's fine. But don't now say, according to Romans 14, 5 to 6 and Romans 14, 14, don't now say that those, that others should, that are celebrating it are committing sin. Come on, are you here? Now, when people bring up the argument that but these things are sacrificed to God, why are we doing it? Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. He said, as concerning thereof, the eating of those things that are offered unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world and there is, there is none other God but one. For though there be, there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be God's many and Lord's many. But to us, there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things. We are in him, the one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we by him. So if anybody picks anything and uses it to celebrate idols, I will pick that same thing and use it to honor God. Come on, are you listening to me? Because in those things that they are using to celebrate idols, idols are nothing. They don't exist. But worst case scenario is demons that have been furnished by those actions. But it is God that only should be honored. So the honor they are giving to demons, that honor only belongs to the Lord. And when people say that you are using December 25th, they, are you aware that the, our days of the week are named after God? So it doesn't matter what day it falls on. A God has used it before. But there is one, we know all these small gods, they don't exist but we know the one who died was buried and rose again. So when we think of Christmas, like I said, it's not just dashing through the snow in a warm month. Oh, what fun. It is what fun. The one who died was buried and rose. Fun is not about fun. It's not about fun. It's remembering that Jesus, God, became a man to die for man. So when we think of carols like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. When you think of 
um, Noel, when you think of Hag the Herald, when you think of the things that as he was born, the angels began to sing. It's not about food. Food is great, but it's deeper than food. It's deeper than jumpers alone. Your jumpers look great, by the way. It's deeper than a touch of red. See, in fact, it's me that touched red. Hallelujah. It's deeper than all those things. Even my socks. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's deeper than all those things. It's about the God man. And celebrating the fact that he came to die for me. Hallelujah. Come on, rise to your feet. The, the truth is, oh wow, this is our stream. The truth is, you cannot separate, you cannot separate the, um, you cannot separate the birth of Jesus from the death of Jesus. Because when the angel came to Mary, Matthew 121, he said, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. The entire point for the coming of Jesus was he was born to die. He was born to die. That's the only reason he came. He was born to die. So we cannot celebrate Christmas from Easter. We cannot celebrate Easter from Christmas. Easter is possible because Christmas is possible. Christmas is possible because Easter is possible. Say amen. I want you to consciously in the next few minutes say, Lord, thank you for your, thank you for your birth. Because he's not like anybody that was just born. He came through a woman. He chose to step into time. So thank you for your birth. Thank you for your life on the cross. Consciously do that and give God thanks. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. Nelson Bihalwan Ministries is a mandate that seeks to see men saved, trained and sent. For more ministry content, visit us at c.me forward slash Nelson Bihalwan. And for contact details, follow on Instagram at Nelson Bihalwan. God bless you.